Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb and as always I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this Tuesday evening after a major Oklahoma State win? Kate, a 39-32 victory over KU at home. I'm I'm doing great. What about you? I'm I'm doing fantastic as well. It was a great weekend in Stillwater. Perfect game day atmosphere, uh, both weather and stadium wise. So it was just an outstanding win. And Oklahoma State stacks two together against Kansas State and Kansas, which I think as the season progressed became tougher and tougher, maybe even more so than we thought in the preseason. So huge win for Oklahoma State. And Dustin, normally we kind of banter at the beginning of this. You and I both have a hard out tonight. So uh, if we could even say that on our own show, which is awesome, it's kind of like what rock stars do, I would think. But we have a hard out on our own show. So we're going to get straight into it. And by getting straight into it, I'd like to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best-dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at www.charliehustle.com and use our promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. Charlie Hustle, vintage made fresh. Dustin, let's get right into the recap. Oklahoma State wins 39-32 in a game that they were down eight in the third quarter, up 14-0 in the first quarter. A little bit topsy-turvy, um, but ultimately, Dustin, they break 30, as you and I both thought would happen. Uh, and in this game, it had to happen, because had they not done that, they literally would not have won. So that's the story, in my opinion. Well, just to take some credit back that you just gave me, I had them pushing 30. <laughs> I had 30 to 27, which... Kate, I think both of us, not that the game was going to play out exactly like that, not going to say that, but I think we both thought it would be a close-ish game, but Oklahoma State's offense would continue to improve. And I, I think that's what we saw here. Kate had a couple of offensive, well, one's just kind of a general stat and a couple of offensive ones I wanted to throw at you. So this victory was Oklahoma State's first ranked win of the season because Kansas was number 23-24, depending on which poll. So OSU has now won nine of its last 12 games against opponents ranked in the AP Top 25, and each of its last six such contests at home, dating back to October 24th, 2020. Wow. The home field advantage is real. Yes. Also, the 554 total yards of offense is the best offensive performance of the season against the Jayhawks. And 554 yards is the most since the Fiesta Bowl victory for Oklahoma State against Notre Dame on January 1st, 2022. And this was the longest game-opening drive since October 31st, 2020 against Texas. So the reason why I wanted to hit those stats is several of them are from – none of them – they all date back at least one season prior. 
and some of them are dating back to 2020. I mean, when I, that was a genuine reaction, I did not know the Texas Tech 2020 stat of an opening drive, and it kind of is interesting because we were asked about Casey Dunn and scripting and and what happens after that. But I I made the comment that the opening drive against Texas in the COVID year stood out because it was so good. And it, but it was one of the last that I ever remembered. So it's funny that you said it that way. I mean, Dustin, it, it felt like it's been a long time since we saw Oklahoma state come out like that, both offensively and defensively and put together a first quarter, you know, that they, they leave with a, you know, 17 to seven lead. And you feel like Oklahoma state is firmly in control of the game. I thought the utilization of Ollie Gordon to open the game was brilliant screen passes in the flat uh in in between the tackles i mean, i thought i thought that they really came out and obviously they they made it an emphasis to hand him the ball yeah and you watch a game like this and in the run game there was definitely some new things we saw some creativity added in there but the passing game you know i was talking to our friend adam one about this it was a lot of the same concepts we've seen throughout the dunn era so you see the 554 yards of total offense. You see some of these extra things added in the run game, and you're like, finally, done, being more creative, all this stuff. But really, it's execution from the offensive line, execution from the running back position, the quarterback, aside from two throws, three according to PFF, taking care of the football. And when you have that kind of execution – you see what kind of play caller Casey Dunn can be, which is why, Cade, you and I don't like to just pile on him after a bad offensive right. performance because there's so much that goes into it. You know, Lunt said it perfectly to me, execution and play calling go hand in hand. You can't really have one without the other. And in this sense, in this game, you see with when the offensive line plays well, when you have a running back, who can play and have the vision and patience of Ollie Gordon, Casey Dunn's able to get into to a rhythm and call a really solid game. Still some areas for improvement, yep. red zone. Yep. I, I, you know, you gotta, you gotta score touchdowns there, but overall, do you kind of agree with that take? 100% I agree. I think that it's one of the main reasons why we are, or at least it's a great example of when we're a little bit, moderate and we don't take the you know the hot take you know other side of the fence type of approach it's because a lot of times frankly i i don't believe what most are saying like i genuinely believe that the issues that oklahoma state was facing were a combination and that the play calling you know that that people love to get riled up about on twitter is one of many many issues and so as you see the offensive line start to gel it's not rocket science to hand your best player the ball 35 times. It's not rocket science to hand your second best offensive player the ball nine times and have a combined 44 touches between those two guys. You and I have been clamoring that. People were giving us credit on Twitter about it. I don't even know if there's any credit needed. It's 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 obvious. And, and any coach that is paid money to coach this game knows that. Casey Dunn does know that, contrary to what you know you you might think. And so, Dustin, to your point, yeah, I, I absolutely do agree with you. And I I think that Casey Dunn, it's interesting how over the last two weeks as Oklahoma, really the last three weeks as, as Iowa State was a nice step in the right direction and they've continued to build on that. How much are you hearing about, you know, 
Casey Dunn and play calling. It's really none of that anymore. And that's that's ultimately why I think it's it's safer for you and I to be a little bit more even keeled in that regard. And they win this game not using anywhere near as much motion as they did against Kansas State. And one of the main reasons for that is you see Oklahoma State go heavy tempo. Right. And when you're going tempo and you're trying to catch the defense off with your speed, you don't need a motion. So they added in some newer motions. We saw, I put a Twitter clip that we'll get into later of some motion with Blaine Green, the fast motion. They had some interesting tight end motion on some double tight end counters, but there wasn't as much as there was against Kansas state. So you can see how the game plan's kind of changing, but it all comes down to execution and then getting into a rhythm as a play caller. And I'm not saying Casey Dunn has always been great about getting into a rhythm, even when there's been good execution, but he, I thought it was great in this game overall as an entire offense. Something else that was very interesting to me, Mike Gundy even mentioned it on his radio show, heavy, gap scheme in the third and fourth quarters, kind of the end of the third quarter and all of the fourth quarter. So they ran 21 times, 13 of those runs were non-zone runs, only eight zone runs out of 21. That That's something even you and I maybe weren't expecting. We were thinking, you know, at best 50-50 split after yeah. the 95-5 split last year. In full game, we only see 41% zone runs. So this is where gap, some of the man blocking, ISO, we saw several sweeps. And it just kind of, it's some of the stuff we heard about and that I saw at that practice in the offseason, along with, it always cracks me up. And Casey Dunn did this, I think, with three or four different plays. If a play works the first time you run it, you just run it again. <laughs> yep. and make the team. That's just an old play caller. That's an old, like, any old school offensive coordinator, offensive coach from back in the day, you'll see a quote, run it until they stop you. So I love that. But well, how many times did they run the out? How many times did they throw it yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, I, I I liked the game plan overall. The, like you said, the screen calls, the timely screen calls were big time. The first one to start the game. But I really liked all of that. I think, you know, 11 personnel was still heavy. We saw more 21 in this game. I Kind of looking at the PFF snap counts since we normally give some notes on that. A lot of snaps from Braden Casty. I believe it was his most of the season in a single game. We saw Jake Springfield play his first snaps at left tackle when Cooper went out with injury. We saw Birmingham again at right tackle. We also saw him at left guard and at left tackle. So you got to see him at all three spots. You saw a lot of Blaine Green. You saw a lot of Rashad Owens again with Stribling out. So not a ton to take away. Still played, I think it was 19 guys total on offense, which has been about their sweet spot the past several games since they've gotten to this Allen Bowman, Ollie Gordon, QB1, RB1 offense. But not a ton to take away there. Okay, did you have any other general scheme takeaways before no, we kind of get – and we'll I think dive we in get, more when we talk about the O-line and running I think backs. we can get into it. Awesome. Well, as we do and as we normally take a lot of time on – the offensive line, probably one of the best offensive line performances of re- in my recent memory in the Casey Dunn era. What, do you have any disagreement? I don't know there? of one that even like is immediately comparable. Yes, it was it was such an improvement. Start with Cole, our uh, our utility 
offensive lineman playing three different spots in this game. You know, I like, I know he didn't get a ton of snaps at guard in this game, but I am still fine with him at guard. When he's able to get his hands on somebody, you can even see it at the tackle spot. When he's just asked to seal his man instead of trying to chase somebody on a down block or wider outside zone or having to kick step and pass pro, he's still got the power and he's still got the technique to easily move pretty much anybody off the line. He's probably one of the strongest offensive linemen on the team. But man, that knee, you can just see it even on the right side. Going against a guy like Jeremy Robinson from Kansas is not the speed he's going to see from some teams later down the road from an edge rusher. And he wasn't even able to keep up with him. Not that Jeremy Robinson isn't a good player. I just don't think he has the speed of some of the guys we're going to see down the road. And if Cooper is not back, which Gundy said he's Dalton Cooper in his media availability, he said that he's probably going to practice this week. He should be available. It's just going to be a nagging show. I believe it's a shoulder injury. He was in a sling after the game. Just give me a nagging injury that he's going to have to just deal with the pain on. So I'm sure we'll have to see Birmingham at some point back at tackle. And it worries me against teams with a fast edge rusher. Thankfully, what I'll say, I I think it's a big deal. I, I think the best edge rusher, I think there's one team that really concerns you coming up. We don't need to say the name. We know who that is, especially as we get closer and closer to that game. But this conference is not brimming with edge rushing talent. I, I do think that you got it. You're going to get a little bit lucky if he's out for an extended period of time. And this highlights the importance of depth because Cole Birmingham coming back in, but being still a little bit uh, doesn't have his sea legs. I think is either you said it or my somebody said it, and I thought it was great. That's exactly what it is. I think he's going to continue to improve, but it's going to take some time. I thought what he was asked to do, he did a good job in. I just think it's it's a challenge for him. And Mike Gundy has said it point blank that that yeah, he's he's just having to get back to it. Yeah. My my worry would be, and it's a great job by Gundy to even if Cooper's not going to play, to say he's going to play. Oh, yeah. Because if I'm an opposing offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, I'm probably going to scheme up several pressures from a second level guy to come off the right side and attack Birmingham while shifting the rest of the defensive line more to the interior to where he has a one-on-one situation at least five or six times in that game with a speed athletic second level or even a high level edge rusher that you sub in. I, I felt like he was better at right tackle than he was at left. Would you agree with that? Like, or was it just a one game type of, you know, it's maybe too early to tell. I think, you know, since that's Bowman's front side, and not his backside, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little yeah. bit, it's a little bit better in general getting, situation yeah. for him to be at the right tackle, but I don't think he was terrible. I just do think you can tell the speed is not there at all. And there were several situations where he got outrun and Bowman had to get a little bit out of the pocket. Well, I actually yeah, have yeah. a couple examples when we get to some of Bowman's incompletions, there was a dart run in the second half, which is dart is where the backside tackle will pull around and lead block for the running back. The rest of the offensive line's blocking down. And Ollie grabs on Nicole's back and pushes him through the hole, uses him as like a human shield. I thought that was pretty awesome. But Cole kept up and he made he 
made his way through the hole. So I thought it was interesting, but I'm not here just to bash on Birmingham. I think he's a great offensive lineman. I think this is all due to the injury and not due to talent or skill level. Totally. I'm just worried if Cooper's out. So that, that was just kind of the point I was trying to get across. Yeah. With probably way too many words. No. And in my mind, whether it's Birmingham or not, Dalton Cooper has been your best offensive lineman through six games. It's a big, it's a big deal. If he's gone, regardless of who stands in at that spot. Yeah. Moving on to Jason Brooks, really good in the run game. Yep. There were a couple times where he, Tommy Dunn played about 26 snaps for KU. So a, not a ton, but a good majority at that three technique, they rotate a lot of the guys just absolutely manhandled him to the point where Dunn was the third lowest defensive graded player that played more than 10 snaps for KU. So Brooks made him look silly. He was awesome on that first screen. Him and Joe Mahalski got upfield and made some blocks downfield for Ollie in pass protection though. Cade, we mentioned this previously. He and Gundy even said it in a media availability earlier in the year. He gets his hands out a little bit in front of his feet and gets off balance. And the same guy who I just made fun of Tommy Dunn was able to kind of rip down on Brooks hands and Brooks was off balance, fell forward and he's able to get by and try to get to Bowman. I think that happened twice that I noted in the game, but man, other than that on down blocks on any of the zone runs, he's probably, he's still one of the best guys at getting to the second level. And he had a really good pull in the fourth quarter on a GH counter. His run blocking, I know he's not the biggest offensive lineman. You can tell he gets worn down later in the game, but he is always giving effort on the run blocking. If he's just able to kind of sure up some of the issues in pass pro, it's I, I, this, the sky's the limit for this offensive line going forward if they're, if they're able to continue playing like that. And, I, I didn't think I would say that this season. I completely, man, you give you give me chills a little bit because they are clearly gelling, and it's from game to game to game they have gotten better, like noticeably. So where does this go near the end of the season? Health is going to be critical. But on Jason Brooks specifically, I thought he made a couple of blocks in the run game that were outstanding and led to you know not directly. It's a unit; they all play together. But you see, kind of what we saw last year with Jason Brooks, where he was maybe the best run blocker at times, and he would make individually great plays. Now he's got a little bit of help around him. Guys are helping him make great plays as well and keep the play going. I just, I felt like that was a great indication of what we already knew, but it was nice to finally see it come to, to all together in that way. I still think pass pro he's, he's got a ways to go, but ultimately I, I think he's a he's kind of a a, a hog molly, if you will, and you you just got to run behind him. And I think you take that. I wonder, Cade, if either he was a little banged up or just not. You use the word gelling, not gelling very well with Cole Birmingham earlier in the season. Either one of the two, because the past two games he's looked like an absolute monster in the run game, like you said. So it's it's a little interesting to think about maybe what was going on earlier in the season. He also could have just been not playing as well. Yep. So right. not 100% sure. But moving on into the middle of the line, Joe Maholski, no issue snapping that I saw unless I missed one. I thought the snaps were great this game. I loved listening to him talk. He was one of the guys they talked to after practice this week 
about his communication and the offensive line's communication with Ollie Gordon during the game, talking about what specific D linemen are doing on specific runs, where they think gaps are going to open up. They say the communication with Ollie throughout the game is awesome. And he, he seemed like he thought Ollie was a hilarious individual and that it seemed like they get along pretty, pretty well. So I loved that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I thought Mahalski was great, and it was really cool to hear Ollie talk about what it was like to run behind him in the post game. Yeah. He's always saying, "I'm, I'm looking off." I don't know if he said, "I'm looking off his butt" or something like that, but it was really funny the way he delivered that line. The I think he set the tone of the game for the offensive line on that screen. I mentioned it already, but the first play of the game, the big screen to Ollie Gordon, Joe Mahalski's like thirty yards downfield throwing a DB into oblivion. I I just absolutely love that. He had a pancake in the fourth quarter, so he kept it going the whole game. The one thing I will say, though, Cade, the front that KU runs, mm-hmm. even front, that means there's not normally a zero-tech nose. <laughs> when, what have the games been that we've given Joe Mahulski all the praise when he's not gone against the zero-tech nose? West Virginia, who we'll get to in a little bit, they do run some odd front. We'll see how he's it. And it's not, I'm not saying like it, like it's a mindset thing. It's just when a guy's leaning on you the entire game. Yeah. I don't think the nose is making plays, but then it gets Joe a little bit tired. I think having to just push that guy off of him for the entire game. That's right in his face after the snap. Does it get exhausting being validated on most points you make throughout the season? And then the <laughs> tape just clearly completely validates what you've been saying. It's only, I mean, it's literally just because I watched the game like seven times each time. I'm not smart at all, but I thought Mahalski was awesome. I know we don't like to reference you and I don't like to reference the PFF grades for offensive linemen just because they really do seem wacky sometimes Mm -hmm. after you rewatch the game and not, not because they're not smart, but they obviously are, you know, these computers and the guys grading it are grading without knowing the specific call and things like that. I hear Robert Allen talk about it all the time. So I don't love to talk about the offensive line grades, but they graded Joe Maholski as the highest graded offensive lineman in this game. And I don't have much argument for that. I, I'm, I think there were guys that played maybe just as good, but I definitely couldn't argue with that. Yeah. I mean, when you think about where the big running plays came from, it is, it is impossible to uh, think that Joe Maholski was anything other than really good in this game. Yeah. Uh, Wilson on the other side at guard. Solid in the run game, good in pass pro. He's almost like how we talk about Xavier Benson sometimes where like he didn't really pop negative or positive. Wilson pops a little bit positive, but he doesn't normally pop negative. There was a GH counter run in the first quarter where he didn't hold his down block and it led to a tackle. But I also thought Ollie might've made one of his only like two wrong reads of the day there. Then he comes back in GH counter later in the first quarter as the puller dominates. He manhandled a guy on the Ollie split zone TD. So it's kind of like there's a couple things that pop, but he's one of the only offensive linemen I feel like maybe the past two weeks who hasn't really popped majorly in a negative sense. I would totally agree with that. And not to like backtrack, but it's interesting when we heard in the spring initially that yeah, there's there's a strong likelihood that Preston Wilson's going to be at guard and not center as he was at times during the season last year. And, you know, I, I remember feeling a little bit anxious about that. But with the play of Joe Mahalski and now you see 
Preston Wilson being able to really focus on only a couple of things. I, I totally agree with you when he's in outside of Dalton Cooper. I feel like he's your most well-rounded offensive lineman who does not pop negatively. That's a really good way to put it because he's not going to blow you away and pancake five guys in a game, but he's going to normally block his man in pass and run and looks pretty good doing it. So I, I, I love what you said. Yeah. And then finally to wrap it up, well, Dalton Cooper, I, I thought before the injury, I thought he was really good in pass pro. So it sucked to see yeah. him leave. Like Gundy said, he thinks he's going to play this week. I hope he does. I think it's a pain tolerance injury. My guess, and I have no idea, but since his arm was in a sling and they're saying it's a pain tolerance thing, I'm thinking it's labrum. That seems to be one that offensive linemen can play through. I know I, many friends who are athlete who were athletes in college and things like that who had a torn labrum have played through it. We've heard about athletes play through it. I'm thinking it might be something like that, which is very, very painful. And I'm assuming you'll see some of these games where he's in and out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not one that goes away easily. I've never had a labrum issue, but those, I mean, shoulders are, that's a bad one for an offensive lineman. Yeah. And like, like I said, to wrap it up with Jake Springfield, man, you know, I'm someone who's was really critical of Jake Springfield in the past, and I will take it all back this season. I'm not saying he's a all first team all conference lineman, but you can see the improvement. And the thing about Springfield is, it's kind of like a Wilson. He's really steady. He struggled some in pass pro. There was the first mesh throw on the first drive before mm-hmm. the touchdown. He got bull rushed and completely run over by Robinson. It didn't matter because. Bowman was still able to complete the pass, but it didn't look great for Jake. Then he had a great block at left tackle on his own run in the second quarter. He tossed a dude early in the fourth quarter on a big Ollie run. I thought he was really good at right tackle, and I thought he was good enough at left tackle. He's not as quick off the line in pass pro as Cooper, but he's definitely quicker than Birmingham was at that left tackle spot. So I love that he got the shot there instead of Cole. And... Honestly, if Cooper was out, I'd feel this is going to be probably not make sense when I say it, but I don't feel as bad about Springfield playing Cooper spot as I do about Birmingham having to play Springfield spot. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You know, on Springfield, he's gotten the credit he deserves. And I, I think that, you know, I don't think we were negative on him. I don't think you ever were either. However, I think there was some a healthy level of skepticism as you look at what Oklahoma State's brought in on the offensive line. It felt like they were going to have, you know, maybe a healthier Cole Birmingham, but now it's really easy to see why he's playing and why he's playing where he is. I mentioned Cole Birmingham at right tackle, but Jake Springfield's playing great. You're not going to move him. He's, he's doing a, a really good job up there. And as I look at the offensive line, you know, as a whole, they are playing well enough to be more explosive on offense. As we get into Alan Bowman later, I, I think that there's still meat on the bone with what the offense, what they're running, how they succeeded on Saturday. I felt like there, there were multiple opportunities for more downfield throws that if your quarterback stands a little bit taller in the pocket and waits a little bit longer, that offensive line all of a sudden looks even better because they're allowing, you know, instead of 554 yards, there was, I thought that there was like a hundred plus passing yards left on the table just based on checking it down. So 
Um, my point being, the offensive line deserves a lot of credit, and Charlie Dickey does as well, because th- this is the best they've looked in many, many years, I think, even during the Big 12 title, you know, championship appearance run. This is uh, this is as good or better than I've seen them. Yeah, and they they got a little worn down, I think, at times in the second half. But that's going to happen to offensive line, especially when you're going tempo as much as Oklahoma State did tempo and turbo, however you want to call it, in this game. But yeah, I thought that was a great breakdown by you of Springfield. Let me ask you one question before we move on to the running backs and talk a little more run game scheme. If Cooper was out, I think he's going to play because I I. I believe Gundy, when he talks about an injury like that, and also speaking of Springfield, Gundy said he's one of the most improved linemen and one, been yeah. one of the best linemen this yeah. year. So that was awesome to hear. If Cooper's out, would you rather Birmingham play right tackle or would you rather Materko play right guard and maybe give Wilson a shot at right tackle? Man, I, I feel like it was good enough on Saturday that you don't mess with it. Um, I mean, is does I think you only do it with a if there's a team that you know is going to bring a speed guy off the edge, right? A lot. Like, yeah, ab- absolutely. I just I feel like you know West Virginia they've got some guys that could that worry you a little bit, but I even feel like you with a little bit of shaded protection from a your tight end or anything like that. I feel well, like Holly Gordon's been awesome. in past. That's pro. where I was headed. Like you, you may simply be able to get away from this by lining Ollie Gordon up in a position where he can pick that edge rusher up more often than he had to on Saturday. So to me, it's good enough to where I wouldn't mess with it, but it's a nice question to ask considering where we were last year. Yeah. I thought, I thought, we should maybe even talk about some situations with offensive line just in case there's that injury continues to happen. But I agree with you. I think I would go with Birmingham until you see otherwise there. Yeah. If it gets bad out of then those yeah. guys. Now, if you want to try a younger guy that you think has a shot that you and I haven't seen, I mean, we can't make that call. We haven't seen him play, right. but if you were to try a younger guy, I maybe wouldn't hate it, but that's a, that's a completely different Man, situation. Are- what a unique situation, too. I mean, just thinking back, you know, the last several years, they've been so decimated by injuries. You're six games through this. Dalton Cooper, you know, Lord willing, he's healthy and able to play. You, you're six games through this, and and you can see what happens when you get some games under your belt. It's been musical chairs for like five years, I feel like. And so uh, it's a luxury to not have to play some of those young guys. Yeah, you, you would – like it in a way to get those game reps. But if you're trying to win a bunch of football games, which I think Oklahoma state is about to do, you need that continuity on the offensive line. And it lets a younger group of offensive linemen actually develop and do it the way that I think the coaching staff wants it to happen, which is in practice and reviewing game tape and talking with the, the more experienced guys, not thrown into the fire. You know what I mean? So it's it's just a totally different experience. It's an awesome call out by you. And it it made me think back to, you know, all the times that Gundy mentioned injuries last year and all the times we were, you know, after a while, it's like, yeah, but you know, there's got to be other reasons. You can't blame it all on injuries, but you see how much offensive line continuity helps your team. We're talking about it with Casey Dunn's play calling rhythm. We're talking about it with the run game and the pass game in general. When the offensive line plays well, the offense 
is going to operate well. I mean, it makes sense. It's not like a it's not yeah. rocket novel science concept. To think that. Yeah. yeah, but so, people forget it. People truly forget that. Yeah, agree. All right, onto the run game. Before we talk, Ollie, a little scheme since we hit it a little bit earlier. We talked about the gap scheme clinic later in the game. We saw a couple of interesting things, Cade. We saw Dart again with the backside tackle pulling and the rest of the offensive line down blocking, mainly in the second half. We hadn't seen a ton of that. We saw it some this year. We saw inside zone, obviously. We saw a draw, which didn't work, a halfback draw. We've seen quarterback draw. We haven't seen a halfback draw much. We saw GT counter bash, which I put on Twitter. So that's the backside guard and tackle pulling for the quarterback. And he's either going to keep it behind those pullers or hand it off to the running back going the other way. So bash is back away. So the back is going away from the flow of the offensive line. Now the cool wrinkle they added in is Bowman actually pitched it to Ollie instead of a mesh. And that got Ollie a running start outside of that unblocked read defensive end. I know he still had to make a cut on that play. It, it didn't work out perfectly, but I thought that was a cool red zone concept. And also the tight end is arc blocking with the tackle and guard to kind of lead block for the quarterback or possibly maybe for Brennan Presley coming that way for an option or something like that mm. in the future. So watch out for that. That was something Lunt and I were talking a little bit about. Another play I wanted to talk about a little bit. Oh, we also saw ISO, which we talked about. The split zone, we talked about that a bunch. So the offensive line kind of flows one way, and the H-back, tight end, or fullback, whoever's in the game, Josiah Johnson, Braden Casty, blocks across the other way on that edge defender, and it creates like a cutback lane for Ollie. We've seen it with inside zone. We've seen it with outside zone. They did it more with that mid Gundy calls it mid zone. I normally hear it referred to as wide zone, where instead of going all the way to the perimeter, the offensive line is making a movement to the sideline and then getting upfield and getting on those second level blockers. So not only does Ollie have the cutback lane, but he's going to get kind of a wall on the cutback where those second level blockers are blocked. We see it work for a touchdown. So I thought those were some interesting wrinkles that Dunn was adding in in the run game because really the passing game was almost exactly the same, but anything I missed from kind of just scheme wise that, that you liked, or that was interesting. No, I, I think it was a great breakdown. I just, I love seeing success in the split zone as Oklahoma state has tried to do for so long, um, did really well in that big 12 championship appearance season, but have not done it as well over the last couple of years, just because of, injuries and and issues up front so it's nice to see them be able to mix it and match it between gap and zone and really kind of pick pick what they want so it's a really nice um feeling in that regard yeah it was a heavy non-zone this is the first time you've gone below 50 percent zone runs this season and it wasn't all gap you know i i don't consider iso a true gap or a sweep where you're just kind of pulling the play side tackle guess you could call it gap, but true zone only about 41% of the time. So that was interesting to see. I did forget one, Kate. I just put a clip out on Twitter about it on the Feels Like 45 account. A Kyle Shanahan 49ers double tight end counter. Oklahoma State ran that. So it's 
basically GT counter with the formation extended. So instead of the backside guard and tackle pulling, you have two tight ends on the backside that come around and pull. It kind of looks like split zone at first, but the rest of the offensive line's down blocking like a true gap scheme run. So that was another new one I've never seen from Casey Dunn. So that was really cool to see, but enough scheme, enough of the nerd stuff. On to Ollie Gordon. Cade, he is so good. His vision and patience. I know I talked about like two runs where he might've made the wrong cut, but he ran the ball 29 times. So I think two is okay. 29 carries, 168 yards and a touchdown. And then he also had six receptions for 116 yards and a touchdown. And he had nine targets in the passing game. The first Oklahoma State Cowboy with at least 100 rushing yards and 100 receiving yards in the same game since Gerald Hudson on November 4th, 1989, which was also against Kansas. And so Mike Gundy was the quarterback. Yes, and Mike Gundy <laughs> was the quarterback. I mean, he had co-Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. I saw he was the Doak Walker running back of the week. If if Ollie can, can handle this kind of workload, which I don't know if 29 carries is sustainable. I'd like to see Collins mixed in a little bit more even though he had the fumble on the kickoff. But Ollie Gordon is turning into a first-team, all-Big 12 caliber running back in front of our eyes. Superstar. I mean, he has full-blown superstar potential. I don't know the last running back that I that has come through Stillwater that can do the things that I saw him do on Saturday. I mean, felt like his one-handed screen pass catch went under the radar and he took it for 20 yards because he had so many other wow plays, but you, you kind of segued this last week. You called this, that th this was potentially a coming out party for Ollie Gordon. And I mean, it, it literally was that nearly 300 all purpose yards. I said the exact same thing you did that 35 touches in a game is, is probably not what you want. I mean, I love that Oklahoma State feeds the rock to that guy. I said the exact same thing to my brother who said, I agree. However, this was one of those games where you you can't take the ball out of his hands. And I do agree with that thought process that he was so hot and he was so on fire. You can't not hand him the ball over a seven game stretch that Oklahoma State's going on. I agree with you in this vacuum of one game. I think you just had to feed him because he was uh, he, he can't take him off the field. He was unbelievable. Oh yeah. And, th and that's kind of why I said sustainable because yeah. in this game, he was so hot. There's exactly. no, there's no way you can just not give him the ball. He had the one handed catch. I just love, you know, coach Dunn said that Ollie's just so comfortable in the offense. Now I talked about what Joe Maholsky said about him in the communication with the offensive line. He always gives Alan Bowman in the offensive line. Like he basically spends his whole media availability, just giving those guys credit. He's tweeting out pictures with those guys on social media all the time. I did. I did like that. He mentioned during the bye week he thought the one offense going against the one defense and not scout team was really, really helpful. I also loved in that media availability, him talking about this revenge tour that they've been on against these teams that they lost against. So all of that, I just, I thought he was awesome in pass pro. 
I thought there's that speed out to Blaine Green. He had a great pickup of a blitz that he had. I mean, he did damage literally all over the field. If you look at the PFF rushing chart, left side, interior, right side, catching the ball. I, you know, those two reads I was talking about, there was a GH counter run in the first quarter where I think his read was questionable, not so much wrong. And then that double tight end counter in the second half, I think he could have made a different cut. But those are like me being very, very nitpicky. And the other thing, Kate, I wanted to throw at you and let me know what you think about this. Some of those check downs or even the design kind of Bowman looking downfield and then coming back to Ollie and even the screens. I think that's just going to open up the slot passing game even more because now the linebacker can't just run out to the flat, run out to that hook curl area and take away Josiah and Brennan Presley and Blaine Green. He's got to remember that Ollie Gordon might come underneath. So you got to pick your poison there Yeah, in the future. Amazing call out by you. One of the things I'll say too, kind of going back to, my my thought on developing in practice is not always a bad thing. Ollie Gordon might be another example of that. You know, it's really easy to look at that and say, well, why wasn't he, you know, the feature back last year? Why was he not the feature back early on in this season? But just focus on last season. Ollie Gordon doesn't have anything close to that behind last year's offensive line. Not not a chance. I mean, Ollie Gordon is a special talent, but as the offensive line has gotten better. Ollie Gordon has gotten better. That is not like a coincidence. And Ollie Gordon, I I raised questions about, you know, where's his vision at? Where, how is he, you know, is he as durable as we think? Is he as agile as we think? Because we hadn't seen very much of him. I said that before the season started. Now, obviously that's wrong, but it's very easy to revisionist history, this thing and say, well, he should have gotten all the carries last season. He's not doing this, what he just did on Saturday last season against that behind that offensive line. So to my point, to my point, developing in practice is a critical thing. And Ollie Gordon has done that. And now he's reaping the rewards of it. 280, what, six all purpose yards. He may have 300 against West Virginia. His ability to just not, not just the vision, but the patience. And that's a big thing with the gap scheme and the pullers. You got to wait for your blocks to set up. You can't wait too long. You can't be too quick. And then you got to be able to see if there's a lane open somewhere else. So it's the patience and the vision that's just been incredible, especially from such a young guy. Yeah, he's only his second year in college. Early in his career, second year in college, but it's like he's not played, you know, a full season yet. Right. Kate, it's it's another case of the where – he was so good. You only have so many things you can say about him for because there's not really anything critical. And I feel like the critical stuff is normally what makes us take longer on a guy. Best individual performance from an offensive player that I can remember. I mean, there are big names floating around in my head, but I, I can't remember a guy like that um, in the last several years. Chuba went for 303. I wrote this down. 2018? K-State in 2019. So... There you go. That would be it yeah, from, for me. From a running back, yeah, I think you've got to go back there. Even with the games that Jalen Warren had. 303. I, I just, Unbelievable. I yeah, which is insane. And I, I'm assuming most of that was rushing. Mm-hmm. But Ollie got all the accolades. He got the helmet sticker from Dan Mullen. Every, everything just going his way right now. I saw Coach Gundy said 
he saw him at practice and told him, you know, don't, don't let it get to your head or you won't, you won't have this feeling going forward. And I, I think Ollie's, I think Ollie's got the right mindset to not do that. Hey, I wonder, Jaden Nixon, got to give him some credit for a couple of yep. runs, but I wanted to talk about what I wanted to talk about with him. 11% of the snaps and then seven touches. I think I said earlier this year, I think 15% is probably the sweet spot and six to eight touches. My only thing is I, I would add Collins in there as well. I love the usage of this amount of usage from Nixon. I could even see it bumped up a little bit. I just think you got to throw Collins in there a little bit more. But again, in this game, you had to ride the hot hand with Ollie. So I get it. Just as we go down the season, that was one call out I had. Collins only played like four snaps. He had the fumble and the kick return. I'm sure that didn't help. But Nixon, the GH counter, the cut he made on that GH yep. counter, making Robinson miss in space. I said Robinson's name a bunch in positive and negative ways, but that was awesome. Probably his best his best cut on a run I've you seen. Stole, you stole my thunder. I was literally going to say that might have been his best run in his career. I know he had that long one against Texas last year, but that one was his best individual effort on a run, I thought. He looked like a real running back there, and I don't mean that like I can't negatively. believe he didn't score. I thought he was going yeah. to score. That's what I'd love to see from him. And then Cade, on the truck sweep on third and three, he has the cornerback to beat, and he just gets his legs taken out. Yeah. And you know, that that's one where Ollie's probably stiff arming that guy. Yeah. So I, I know I'm being critical, but with how much speed he has, yeah, if he's able to make that corner miss, he's gone. And I was that's, that's kind of the thing. On that cutback run that he nearly scored on from, you know, KU's around the 30 yard line. We got a glimpse of his explosiveness against uh Iowa State. We got a glimpse of his explosiveness against Arizona State, Texas last year. I felt like that, that was a whoa run. Like I, I I had not felt that way on any of those other plays, but that one was like, oh, like that, that was a different gear that, uh, that even Ollie doesn't have. So I, I loved being able to see that because it's like, there's the, the kind of change of pace that we've been hoping existed, but do we really know that? It, yeah, I think it does exist after having yeah. seen that. It's just a matter of if he can make that play consistently, because I think that that, that gap is going to be there. He's just got to find it. If he can do that consistently, even just, you know, in his seven touches once or twice a game, you're going to see he's going to have to 50, 60 yard touchdown from him again this season for sure. I think he's going to have to. I mean, the way that they're probably going to throttle Ollie back after that, you can just feel it, right? West Virginia, Cincinnati, he's going to have to. He's going to have to make yeah. some plays. His special teams this game was weird, too. He had the very smart play to jump on that fumble yes. on the kickoff. And then on punt, when they have two guys back there, punt return with Presley, he doesn't fair catch it and gets his head taken off. It almost looked like he thought Presley was going to try to block that guy, but I don't, I mean, yeah, that was in strange. what world is Presley going to take on a dude running full speed at him and risk getting injured? Yeah, that was really strange. I, I don't know why he didn't fair catch. I mean, he got blown up and you don't see that a whole lot anymore. So I, I don't know what happened there. I mean, would have got crushed if he tried to step in the way of that. Yeah, for sure. He's the other return guy. So right. it, just, just weird all around receivers. Kate, we don't have that many to talk about because this was one of the with stribbling out now, you got 
79 snaps from Bray. So 98% of the snaps at X. You got 70, 86% from Owens at the Z. Shetron only played nine. And then you had Blaine Green and Presley taking up the others at the slot or, or the H. So really only four guys played. And with Stribbling out, I think you're going to kind of see it being those four guys as we move forward. In some games, maybe you even see less green if they go more heavier sets with tight ends and fullbacks out there. I think we got to start, even though Rashad Owens had over 100 yards, I think we got to start with Brennan Presley. Had the most targets, 13. He also got the carry. So he had 14 attempts at touching. He caught it eight times, ran it once. So he had nine actual touches. He was awesome. There were two routes in this game where he made the defender look completely stupid. There was a beautiful route in the it was second and 10 in the first quarter. Bowman was getting a little pressure from a delayed blitz. It throw was a little high. He burned Craig Young, KU's Hawk defender, then goes up and catches it, yeah. lands on his butt cheek in bounds. The flea flicker, I, I mean, it, that was such a smart play by him to kind of turn around after he sees that Bowman hasn't the, thrown the ball downfield to Jaden Bray since KU played that flea flicker perfectly. And then there was another route later in the game. It was kind of like a kind of like corner cur- or like a fake corner comeback and curl. And he ran that beautifully too. His route running ability and then his ability to make guys miss when he has the ball. That's why we keep saying, get him the football. Yeah. I mean, again, it's kind of like the, the hand ollie the ball thing. It's like, yeah, it's not rocket science. We've seen Brennan Presley do amazing things with the football in his hand in space. It's just been a matter of he's not in space a whole lot. And, and you can chalk a lot of that up in the past. I mean, Last seven games of the year last year, didn't have a quarterback to throw it to him. So it's like, yeah, I think his his scope has been narrowed and it's not all that fair to him, but that's the reality. But Dustin, I mean, I thought his most impressive play outside of the individual catch and run on the uh, screen pass was the catch you just described where he went on the out, went way up to get it and got drilled and hung onto the ball and came down with it. I was telling you, and my dad last week about guys got to make off schedule catches. That one felt a little bit off schedule just because of, you know, the hit he took. It's a, it's a difficult grab to make jumping up that high. That was one of the first off schedule ones I can remember. And it came from Brennan Presley. So you got to get him the ball more, but there is a concerted effort to do so. You can't knock the play calling. They are putting him in the backfield. They are swinging it out to him. Alan Bowman's making great reads on an undesigned, you know, little flip screen. That was not the read, but he was there. And so I just, you love seeing him get a bigger scope in this offense. Yeah, I agree. And his ability, we talked about earlier this year, Oklahoma State's wide receivers may be struggling a little bit to find the open areas and zone. I thought he did a great job of that in this game. You saw them run mesh. And when you run that against zone, those two crossers have to, the two drag routes have to kind of settle down in space. We saw him find the space there, which, you know, KU played so much kind of cover four quarters and other types of zone. And we knew they were going to do that. Gundy talked about, you know, they've kind of always done that. And that's what they went with. They, the two, the two super deep high safeties was maybe a little bit more than I thought, but that's another reason why probably not as much motion. Cause it was like, man, if they're just going to stay in this, we don't really need a motion to find right. the leverage here, but 
I thought he was awesome. I thought I love how he's always fighting for extra yards, even though he's not a very big guy. And I mentioned just a second ago, just to move on, if you're good with that, running routes in space and finding space in zone. Rashad Owens, man, he he's not the route runner, the quick twitch speed route runner that Stribling is or that like a Tay Martin was, but he's so smart. He doesn't need to be as quick. He doesn't need to be as burner speed. He finds the open space. He makes the catches. I do think that one where Bowman threw it behind him on the out, it was a bad throw from Bowman. You can't throw an out inside like that. I do think he should have caught that, though. It was in his hands, and Dotson ripped it out. But he also made some incredible snags. There was on that zone glance RPO. We had the long run after catch. Bowman led him, but it might have been a little too far, and he just snatched that out of the air. The one where it was third down, they didn't convert. He's probably got to get to the sticks there. So, And Bowman didn't make a great throw there either. But he gets hit and hangs onto it with one hand as he's going out of bounds with his humongous hand. So I <laughs> also, as a blocker, there was a block on a split zone. RPO, that was awesome. He had a, another great block on a zone run. He's just so good at finding space. He's good at using his body. I think we're going to see some more deep balls with him this year where he's able to, he makes the catch with the defender on his back because he's not a burner, but he's, he knows how to use his body and his size to get in front of a guy and stack on the DB like that. I just, I thought he was awesome. And if he can, if he can give you, I mean, he doesn't have to give you 112 every game, but if he can give you that kind of effort blocking and route running and making those catches, it's going to make that loss of Stribling feel way less, even though Stribling is an elite receiver, I think, just from what we'd seen of him so far. Owens has given you everything he's got, and it's enough right now. I I think that Rashad Owens has has done such a great job that you're looking around him at like, okay, like, hey, Jaden Bray, where, where are you at? Like, he's been so good that now you're like, okay, there, there's got to be some help because if you have some help on that other side, now you've got – a, a, a bit of an issue as a defensive coordinator between Ollie Gordon, uh, Brennan Presley, Rashad Owens, that you're, you've already got a lot to consider. What, what do you have on the other side? But Rashad Owens, you know, specifically as it relates to him was fantastic. I mean, he's better after the catch than you think he would be. He's a bigger guy. Um, I, I just, I think he's an X factor. It almost feels like he's been an X factor since he got on campus. It's like, if he has a big game, Oklahoma state has a big game. feels like it's been that way since he got on campus. And so it's fantastic to see him have an expanded presence in this offense, even though it may not have been why you expected. And he's a different receiver than Stribling. So I, I love the way he's just kind of found his role. Is it Dustin, do you think it's because he's like a, a better Bryson green that this is, as seamless as it has been like Bryson green was at that spot. So is it, is it because of that? Yeah, I think he's a way kind of smarter receiver. And I mean, green was probably playing the X a little bit more with, with Owens at the Z. You get my point though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. I think he's just such a smart player. We hear the coaches continue to say that when asked about him. And, you know, they probably have similar athleticism. You know, Owen's probably a little bit bigger and speed and, you know, agility. That They seem like similar guys in that way. I think it's just to your point that Owens is such a kind of smarter, I think, all-around receiver. And moving on to Bray, I think the issue there 
KU plays the left cornerback, right cornerback, like OSU does. And Kobe Bryant just manhandled him the whole game. And I'm not giving Bray an excuse. He can't let that happen because he's going to see cornerbacks like that in his career. But I think after that, after Bowman almost threw the pick six to Bryant's side, and I know that throw was more to, I think, Blaine Green on that pass. But I'm saying they're playing zone, but when you're playing that cover four quarter zone, that corner's taking Bray unless he's kind of dragging across the other side of the field. And aside from that tunnel screen to Bray, you just didn't even really see Bowman look over there. I, yeah, just, I mean, I think they were scared of throwing it at Kobe Bryant. I don't blame them. I mean, that we've talked about that for Oklahoma State's defenses, opposing defense or Oklahoma State takes away opposing offenses in that regard. So it's it's okay, but you need Jaden Bray to show up. One catch for four yards in a game like this is is not what you want, but Kobe Bryant's a good player. I mean, he really is. So also the false start and the illegal motion, yeah. both on Bray. You you can't have that. I do think. You know, he missed a couple, but I do think we've seen him improve as a blocker. I think earlier this season, I I called him out several games for being like not good and not giving effort. I think you've seen a little bit more from him there, but not really much else to break down because he got completely shut down, I think, yeah. by Kobe yeah. Bryant. It's unfortunate. I think hopefully this week's a get-right game for him. Yeah, we'll finish with Blaine Green. Liked what I saw from him. He had a good, good block on that first screen. He had the nice catch and run on the speed out. I talked about that motion from him where Bowman sees that he has the DB has inside leverage on him. So he motions him back into the formation from the slot. And that's just to give him more room to throw the out. Cause we've seen Oklahoma state this season and last season run that out and go concept, which they've run always with Casey Dunn out there. And the, the issue has been they don't have enough room to throw the out. The receiver gets to the sideline before the throw is being made. And this is able to give him a little bit more room to run that. So I like that. He lined up at H-back once in the second quarter, too. A little throwback to a yeah. couple seasons ago. I like that. And then that one throw to him where it he caught it on like a screen. It looked like RPO. The only thing I can think there is that was one of those Lincoln Riley slide RPOs where it, there's two RPOs on the same play. It's a zone read, and then the quarterback rolls out, and he can either keep or throw the screen based on how that overhang linebacker plays it. And Bowman just didn't read it correctly. I don't know what else is happening there, but I'm not going to put that one on Blaine Green. And then I thought he had a really good block in the fourth quarter, so I thought he played well. That's exactly what you need from him. Yeah, he's going to be, unfortunately, I think, remembered in my mind as the out route guy. Because I feel like every catch he's made in his career, and I know it's not the case, he's a better player than this, but has been on a eight yard out. And it, you got to have that guy. He's a great possession receiver, but I feel like he's capable of a larger role in this offense. I just, I just don't know how that comes about with a guy like Brennan Presley also in the slot demanding touches as well. So we'll see with him. I, I think he gives you a lot more than just a receiving ability, though. As you mentioned, his blocking, um, he's he's been good this season, but it's just. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's there's more meat on the bone with him too. Yeah, and just real quick before we move to Bowen Bowman on the tight ends of fullbacks, I thought Josiah. I thought he looked. You know, we said he was a little up and down last game. I thought it was more positive this game. He had a solid pull on GH counter. He looked good on some of the split zone stuff. There were a couple whiffs. There was one in the first quarter on a first and ten where he whiffed on the split zone and it led to a tackle. But he's shown that he has good hands. He's getting a lot of targets. I think he had, what, 
He had two targets in this game. We've seen him get two or three in pretty much every game, sometimes even a little bit more. Like I said, if he, if he can maybe just sure up that run after the catch a little bit, he's those, those DBs are taking out his legs. You know, a guy we're about to play against, Cole Taylor, he's shown that he likes to jump over people. I don't always love the hurdle, but if he's able to stiff arm that guy to the ground or maybe stop, stutter step that guy, those could be even bigger runs. But I, I love what you see from Johnson continuing to improve. Stewart, 10 snaps. No, I didn't really have any notes on him. Schultz only played six snaps, but he had a pancake on that double tight end counter <laughs> in the second half. And he had another nice block on that truck sweep. I thought it was Cassidy's best game in his in his most amount of snaps. I saw he said to the media, he told Ollie Gordon, You like scoring touchdowns? All right, follow me. He missed a block. <laughs> he missed a couple blocks, but I, he had a great block on that split zone that Ollie scored on. I, I thought he was really good. If he's gonna play like that, then I definitely think you should play him more. Yeah, I would agree with that. Great breakdown on all the tight ends. Josiah Johnson made a block on a, a, a GT counter early in that first quarter. That was probably his best block of the season. It was on a second and two run. It wasn't anything crazy, but it would have been blown up had he not screamed across the formation and, and hit a guy. So just hope to see things continue with him because he's a he's a good receiving option. But yeah, Dustin, I think a great breakdown altogether on the tight ends. All right, on to Bowman. Look, I know PFF has three turnover-worthy plays. I actually only counted it as two. I'll explain why I didn't count the other one later. But the first thing, Cade, that jumps off to me, and let me know if it was one of the first things that jumped off to you, 68% completion percentage with zero interceptions. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost... It's a better completion percentage than last week, and similar effectiveness in my mind and no mistakes. I mean, really that he, he has made one bad, bad throw in two weeks and it didn't bite you. So Alan Bowman to me, Dustin is like the complete polar opposite of what we've experienced at quarterback over the last four years. And for me, it's like a breath of fresh air. I just, I like feeling like your quarterback's not going to, throw four picks in a game like that could happen. And, and now you've got a guy who values the ball, maybe checks it down a little too fast in some situations, but ultimately you're going to take that every time at 68% completion, two touchdowns and no turnovers. Like you will take that every single time. Yeah. And you know, you talked about checking it down a little too fast. I also thought, you know, with some of the way, and we, you and I mentioned this earlier, but some of the ways KU was dropping both those safeties, you just Bowman only even attempted one pass 20 yeah. plus yards downfield, didn't complete it. So he threw 41 times for 336 yards and didn't complete a pass 20 plus yards down the field. That is Alan Bowman football. Yeah. And I, and, and I'm not even saying that negatively. I think that's how he can hurt teams. And, the thing is, when you don't make any mistakes, and, and again, I know Kobe Bryant could have picked that one off. I know Kenny Logan could have picked the one off later in the game, but they didn't. So he didn't make those mistakes. So when you play against some of these teams that want to play the bin don't break, break, make you dink and dunk down the field, and you see some lighter boxes, Ollie Gordon can run against that. And then we know Alan Bowman can complete these passes and he's comfortable doing it, yeah. which is something... 
I don't, and I, I know I hate doing this all the time. I know we do it a lot, so it probably doesn't seem like we hate it, but it's not something Spencer Sanders is comfortable doing. He didn't not want to all. do that. Not at he all. He would get frustrated at some point and try to force it. And you, right at the beginning of your Alan Bowman breakdown, you said the pretty much the exact same thing. So I completely agree with you. I thought it was a great game from him all around. You can't have those two or three throws, so he's got to clean that up. But I think the only other knock on him from this game is what we've kind of said about him since the beginning. He's just leaving the pocket a little bit too early at times or getting rid of it maybe a little too quickly to the check down, like what you said, 2.38 time to throw, according to PFF. That's one of his faster ones in recent weeks since he started playing as a full-time quarterback. It's even faster than last week against K-State, which I believe was 2.56. So those are my only real two knocks on him. And this might even be one of the pods where the breakdown's not as long on him because I I thought it was a pretty clean game. Yeah, I mean, clean is, is what you would want. Like, I think I said this on the podcast. If not, I definitely said it to you that if he was like Clint Shelf, I would I would love that. And he's not the runner that Clint Shelf was, but Clint Shelf threw the ball well, made good decisions with it, and was an efficient quarterback. Like I I was after four years of Spencer Sanders and the volatility there, I was just ready for <laughs> just above average and clean. And that's what you're getting with Alan Bowman who's doing exactly what I think Mike Gundy and, and company want him to do. And to me, it's really fun to watch. Like you, you feel like when you get the ball back that the world may not come crashing down on you because with Spencer Sanders, anything could happen. And with Alan Bowman, I mean, yeah, he almost threw a pick six to Kobe Bryant, but he didn't and he has not. And so up to this point, I feel like he values the ball a little bit more and he's got an offense that he's willing to make that play. And Mike Gundy said it in his, in his uh, media availability yesterday, he's got some experience doing this at Michigan. And so he's probably much more comfortable with it. Well, great. I'm fine with doing it more too, if it leads to more wins and, and an offensive performance like they haven't seen in multiple years. So Alan Bowman hats off to you, man, like sticking through the three quarterback system thing to do that multiple weeks in a row is like, that's why you're here. Yeah. I love the Terry Miller Jersey too. His oh, Jersey yeah. game's been on fire. He even said, Kate, in his media ability, don't turn the ball over, run the ball. Well, dink and dunk play good defense. He doesn't care about doing that. So if opposing defenses, which a lot of them do in today's college football, that's how teams like to defend keep the top one. It's what Derek Mason talked about a lot last year, playing from top down and not letting the top come off the defense. Yep. If you try to do that against an Allen Bowman team with Ollie Gordon at running back and the offensive line playing like this, they're going to beat you or yep. the offense is, I mean, the offense is going to beat the defense in that game. So, you know, he, he talked about his picks or almost picks. He talked about how those shouldn't have been throws. He also said on the double sub, he wasn't a hundred percent sure on that rule. And now he knows it when he could have snapped it when KU still had a guy running off the field. Yeah. He, I, I think that's just, that's just kind of something that these quarterbacks have to realize with these tempo. Once they sub once and that ref's not there holding the ball anymore, you can snap it and get right. too many men on the field. So legal substitution. So he, 
it's like he's realizing all these things directly after the game. So that means either he realized it on his own or the coach told it to him. And after playing a full game where he threw it 41 times, he remembers stuff like that. So that's just awesome stuff to see. But he said he needs to stay in the pocket better. Gundy said he needs to set his feet a little better. It's really sometimes not even staying in the pocket. It is what Gundy said, just not getting on that back foot, yep. not getting off balance when you don't need to just stand in there and make the throw. Yep. I talked about the one to Brennan Presley on the out, which you mentioned too, the good catch from Brennan. He was probably going to get hit, but if he stands in there and just throws it, then Brennan's not jumping for that ball and having to land weirdly to stay in bounds. Now he made the throw, completed it and avoided the hit, but you know, it's, it's, I'm not calling out his toughness or anything. It's just one of the things that I saw with his feet his touchdowns on checkdowns and screens is awesome. And I think his route timing has been really, really good. Something else I noticed in this game, he does do a little bit of what Spencer Sanders could do really well, changing his arm angle if a defender's in the yep. way and throwing, especially on some of the RPOs, getting it around the convict player. Now, he also has kind of an odd arm angle, like his normal arm angle, which we've talked about, and he got a ball swatted. But I did like some of that kind of arm slot movement that he can do. And then I think the sack, I timed it on a stopwatch, 1.97 seconds. That's not on him. Right. It, yeah. I, anything anything under 2.5, I don't think you can even put on the quarterback. So 1.97 seconds. I thought it was on Joe and Brooks. Kind of they did a little stunt there. And then, Kate, this is very nitpicky, but you know this is the kind of stuff that I like to pick at. The pitch to Ollie on the second GT counter bash. It's a terrible pitch. Yeah, he not good. behind him. Yeah, not a not a good one. It is nitpicky. We won't focus too much on that, but I I thought he was was really good altogether. And you know, as you talk about what he does in the pocket, like I don't think it's always leaving too early. It is that he, for whatever reason, gets on that back foot. That pick six that he almost threw as well was one of those examples where if he now, he's got an edge rusher screaming at him, but if he stands there for a split second, he may see Brennan Presley coming open across the middle. So just just things like that that I think as he gets uh, uh, familiarized with a, a, a quote-unquote uh, spread air raid system that Oklahoma State wants to run, he's going to make mistakes, but I think that those things get better as the season goes on. He's back in what he's familiar with, but it'll take a little bit of time. Yeah, and Kate, I mean, if you know, if Owens doesn't have that one ripped out, if Britton Presley isn't held on that one, and then Blaine Green on a stick route, it was against zone, so he should have stayed put, and he kept moving towards the sideline, and Alan Bowman threw it where Blaine Green was supposed to be. So that one was on Green. You know, if you add those three back in, he's at like a seventy-five percent completion right, percentage. Right. Yeah. And and I know he almost threw some picks. Oh, I was going to talk about that one before we move to the defense. So PFF, I think the other one they're counting is when Melo Dotson dove for the ball. Do you remember that when Bowman's throwing it out to Owens? It was a bad throw to Owens. Dotson dove. The ball like bounced in front of him. I I just can't count that one as a turnover worthy play if the guy dove and the ball still bounced in front of him. <laughs> right. It was a bad throw. I'm not going to say it was almost picked off though. I mean, 
if Dotson picks that off, he's number one on Sports Center top ten. So that's why I had it at two, and I think PFF had it at three. I, I can see an argument for it, but just wanted to call that out. He was under pressure. PFF looks to have updated their numbers. They do that sometimes during the week. They had it previously at twenty nine percent. It's at thirty one. I think that's one where sometimes when Bowman left a little early, they counted that as pressure and it wasn't because I think the pass pro was, you know, almost just as good as it was last week when I think they had it at like 11%. So you saw about 31% play action. Some of the things we didn't hit, I think just scheme wise. And we saw the screen game back in with the receivers and even Ollie split out throwing the screen. So those screens, I think help. I, I know some people don't like them, but with how these wide receivers like Blaine Green and Owens and Bray have been blocking, I think, and Josiah, I think you throw more screens. I think you mix those in a little bit more, and they did a little bit this game. So, Cade, I think that's I think that was me spewing out the rest of my notes that I had, and I think that's all I've got. It's awesome. I'm glad you did. I've got one more. As I sit here, and oftentimes I have you on one side of my screen and the game on the other side of my screen, just – Anything I may have missed, he should have had one more touchdown. Vernon Presley got held on that first and 10 coming over the middle. Uh, it was in the second quarter. Both safeties fell down. Vernon Presley got grabbed. I mean, oh, you yeah. throw the flag or he walks in and scores. So uh, I thought I thought Bowman got screwed on that one. Yeah, and I, I guess officials just aren't calling as much of the holding in DPI, which we've kind of seen that now consistently. So that's why I, I know, I, I think I was asked by somebody recently, it was either in text or Twitter, why, why you and I don't complain about the refs as much. And I think for me, it's a little bit, if it's, if they're not calling it either way and we win the game, I'm going to save my ref bashing for when we lose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, you know, here in a few weeks, if that goes poorly, Absolutely going to blame that on. Yeah, the we'll come after him if we lose a game. I'm are, definitely. Are you kidding the refs me? For part of it. Yeah. No matter when what. we win, it's like no. That's how you got to call the game. No question. It's about karma it. to do it that way. I think. <laughs> Good karma. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, Cade, you want to move on to the defense? Yes. Do we want to take a quick break and hear a word from one of our sponsors? And we'll come back and we'll talk about the defense. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. And go Pokes. Okay, Dustin, this will be interesting. Oklahoma State defensively, a boomer bust type of game defensively. It, it does not resemble many in recent memory, at least for me, just on the surface as Kansas, you know, goes right at 500 yards. 
just under, I believe. I don't have the stats right in front of me. It was, yeah, right at 500. Right at 500 yards. Most of it through the air. Oklahoma State holds Kansas, who ran for like 1,000 yards against Central Florida to under 190 rushing yards against Kansas, but gives up 410 through the air. And Dustin, I think that the stat sheet in this case obviously tells the story. Because Kansas was highly effective through the air. On their big plays, they were big. But on the run game, Kansas couldn't do much of anything. It was it was very strange, just kind of all yeah, around. Bizarre. So we talked we talked about last week, and I you know, I don't tr- really when we say give ourselves flowers, we're normally joking, but I did want to go back to a comment and I actually went back on the podcast and looked or listened to this back because I thought we had talked about it a little bit. You and I both concluded that podcast when we were talking about predictions, saying we think Oklahoma State will most likely try to stop the run, but the problem is, I think I said this verbatim, Jason Bean can throw it around a little bit. And that's kind of what we saw in the first half. And Coach Gundy talked about it. Coach Nardo talked about it. Coach Gundy told Coach... Gundy said he told Nardo, we are not going to let these guys run on us. Nardo said after the game, he thought man coverage was the right call in this game. He thought they could stay with these guys. Now, I actually think KU's receiving core is a little bit better than K-State's and probably a little bit better than what we'll see at West Virginia's. I, I hate jinxing us like that, saying that. But I still, I still think I was okay with that game plan going into it. But when you see a couple of those busts, it, it was weird to me. And, and I, tell me if you feel differently that they continued until basically halftime staying in so much man coverage. Yeah. I I think, you know, they've shown a bunch of zone this year. They've been a pretty good mix. I think maybe like, I'm not saying you throw the game plan completely out the window because you are holding them down in the rush, but maybe you disguise a couple of things, mix in a couple of things. I thought in the first half, they basically just said, Hey, we're going to aggressively fit the run with our safeties play cover one on the back end, sometimes even man free if we're putting in a blitz and you're not gonna be able to run the ball and we might get beat over the top a few times. It's very interesting because I, I, I one really appreciate that Oklahoma state stopped the run. That is what you had to have happen. But ultimately I felt like some of this was preventable in, in a way. If you just maybe tweak your scheme up a little bit earlier We've talked about this, though. They they seem to be a little bit reluctant to make changes in that first half until they can get to the to the locker room and talk about it, because in the second half it looked very different. I'll also say I thought Jason Bean made several off schedule plays and throws to where it's like, yeah, I know Jalen Daniels is out, but Jason Bean deserves a little bit of more credit than I think he gets at times from fans around I'm this glad. conference. Not to cut you off, Kate, I'm going to throw it back to you, but I did want to mention. I'm so glad we gave him props last week because that would be the because we bashed Beck and he played good. Then we gave Will Howard flowers and he played bad. So I'm glad that we said Jason Bean could play because that would have been a bad streak for us to go on with quarterback. I, he can do more than play. I think he could start at most Big 12 schools. Like I, I it's crazy well, that he's behind Jalen Daniels. Well, when you're in a triple option offense and you the quarterback's probably going to get hurt. Right. So I kind of get why he sticks around. He's like, you know, 
it, it sucks to think about it like this. Well, he's but, played more than Jalen Daniels. There's no question. Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, Daniels is going to get hurt. You, that's not to go off on a different topic, but that's why only <laughs> the military schools run triple option, flex bone, wing T type offenses because those dudes are tough. And I'm not saying other football players aren't tough. All of them are way tougher than me. But you can't have your quarterback taking that many hits. Right, so right. Jason Bean's just reaping the benefits of that, getting to play all these games. So to your question about the scheme, it, it didn't make a ton of sense to me either, but I loved to see them tighten it up in the second half and and force some turnovers, get some pressure on Jason Bean. They felt like they could get him to throw them the ball, and they and he finally did. To Nardo's credit, though, I think he went into this game asking a lot of two guys that he trusts, Kendall Daniels and Trey Rucker, and I, I don't think they were able to handle it mentally to play the run that heavy, but still have pass on their mind. And it, it almost reminded me there was an RPO where Daniels got beat over the top. It reminded, I was having flashbacks to that Brock Purdy game where they, Iowa state RPO to Oklahoma state to death and Colby Harvell peel. He's not, it wasn't the same exact position as that Rover safety, but a box fitting run safety getting killed by those RPOs over and over. And I'm honestly a little surprised KU didn't go to that even more. I think it was because they couldn't get their run game going. You can't really RPO play action when the run game's not going. But I had some flashbacks to that. And I saw a lot, you know, and a lot of people that I was with talking to or getting DMs on Twitter and things like that, talking about Nardo's scheme. But I don't think you can just completely blame Nardo without talking about those two guys because yeah. those were some mental mistakes. Now, the ineligible receiver one, which I'm sure we'll get into, that was tricky. I didn't love that because both those receivers to the field side didn't look like they were way off the line of scrimmage, and the tight ends lined up at tackle. So if one of those guys is on, that guy's ineligible. So that's – I know Gundy wasn't pleased with that either. You you got to announce that a little bit more. It's something I know that the Patriots – used to do in the NFL until teams started yelling at the refs and complaining about it. And then they stopped. So I didn't love that, but kind of back to my point, I, I don't think you can completely say, man, the scheme sucked without putting a little bit on the pass coverage from the safeties. Now, totally Nardo put them in that situation, but I also think that those guys can handle it. Yeah. I, I fully agree with that. Um, I Kendall Daniels whiffing on the, you know, H back coming out on that, touchdown throw after they had just given up one similarly, but the, with the tight end covered up, whatever, I, I felt like that's a little bit bogus. You can understand how that one happens. The next one was a total mental error and you need your, you know, your borderline all American safety to not make a play like that. And uh, especially after you've just seen something similar take place. So, you know, several mental lapses I felt like is to kind of back up what you said, but additionally, I I thought that, you know, Trey Rucker was put in some really difficult positions at times. I don't think he's the guy to cover in space the way that they tried to make him on Saturday. I think he was exposed a little bit and uh, they got punished for that. Yeah. I will say though, the way they stopped the run, Kendall Daniels and Trey Rucker, the angles that they were taking oh, yeah. and some of the plays they made against the run and even some they made against the short passing game. You know, Rucker got trucked early in the game by Jared Casey. And then he comes back later and 
blows up Mason Fairchild on a throw out to the flat. Got one, got their tight end core back for that, but that was a great play. There was, a, and we'll get to it. You know, Daniel's making a couple of good plays, but yeah, they threw some more zone in in the second half. Just back to the scheme before we get into each position group. Also, they talked about activating Colin Oliver as a pass rusher. And Cade, what they were doing, and I, I kind of put this out on Twitter, they st- they actually were in their odd front more this game than against Kansas State. It was 87% this game versus 81. So it wasn't so much that they were going to the even front with Colin Oliver as a pass rusher. They were actually, while they're saying it's activating him, they were activating him from the linebacker spot to come down up near the line of scrimmage and rush the passer out of their three-down odd front base, not out of that four-man even front. So it was very interesting how they did that. Nardo explains this. If you haven't listened to Nardo's postgame and you want to learn more about his defense and the way he understands the game, I would go listen to it. It's awesome. But basically what he's saying is the problem with doing that for the entirety of a game is one, and we saw this last year with Oliver, if you don't have a great pass rusher on the other side or another speed guy in like, you know, Texas runs their kind of two, four, five defense, then teams can just slide protection and add protection, max protect to that side. We saw teams do that a lot last year to Oliver and to other guys that were in that kind of Leo spot. And then also it changes your coverages around because Oliver's not able to be used in coverage. He's now coming at the passer and the uh, the way the odd front is based, the way this three three five st- this three three stack is based, he's actually used in coverage a lot in it. So that I know people are like, why don't you just do that the entire game? Those are some reasons why, and he kind of goes into that. So I thought that was really interesting, but I did love how they added it in this game late because KU was not expecting that, and it worked out to where Colin Oliver was able to get to the quarterback multiple times. Well, and then they dropped him into a passing lane in, in another situation, and. Interception his, hit him in the gut. Pick. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And for all the Lance, I I hate to do this, Cade, because no. I know he can't respond to me and he's Step not going to listen. Step into but the for ring. All of Lance Leipold's crybabiness in his availability, talking about the refs, bro. Your quarterback should have had three picks. <laughs> like you ran it for ninety yards and got sacked four times and gave up five hundred fifty-four yards of total offense. And you're talking about the penalties and he kind of brought it up first. Yeah. I would maybe talk about some of that stuff. And I'm just, you know, not to go off on another rant, like I was with the triple option, but I'm not a huge Leipold in the media fan. He has complained about the refs and every single meet. And I I listened to all of them. UK, do you know the press that I do a little overboard? He's always complained about the refs. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little much for me. And I, I think, I think he gets a little too much credit for what Kultanicki does with his offense. I I do agree with that. I think the rebuild is impressive. Their defense is just still not there. What I will also say, though, is that the whining about an objectively not offsides penalty, like Colin Oliver, Oliver was not offsides. So for you to walk into the media room and spew that, is just it kind of it it honestly looks really weak like it, it's like little brother type stuff that Mike Gundy doesn't do who Mike Gundy has now coached circles around another you know new quote unquote up and coming coach in this conference in back to back weeks and Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold going for it on fourth down again whining about what's not a penalty 
in in the post game just sometimes it's fun to step back and and as you said you know a remind you who you are in Lance Leipold but b like it's a, it's you got a great coach in Mike Gundy who is doing a great job and and doesn't do some of those things so yeah i i think the part that rubs me the wrong way is not giving not starting out giving credit to the other team which yeah. is something Gundy always does but I probably went a little overboard there with Leipold. He, I do love what the rebuild that he's done there. I just, that rubbed me the wrong way. I will say though, Cade, rewatching the game, there was one, one instance with Walter Scheid and one instance with Latou because of how KU was doing and Bean was doing the snap counts. It looked like they both jumped on other plays and it was not called. And I can send you the clip. I'm, I meant to send you those clips earlier. My bad. That's but, all right. I'm pretty sure Latus was offsides, and so none of them got called. So if I'm a KU fan and I want to make the argument about the Oliver one, I'm probably showing the other two to make it. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, I agree with you there. And then, yeah, the personal foul or whatever that other penalty was, he was complaining about that one too. But, okay. Which anyway. is also, I thought, a personal foul, but whatever. Agreed. All right, on to the defensive line. Defensive ends. This was an odd snap split for them. Goodlow played 80% of the snaps and Walter Scheid had 53%. So compared to the KSU game, Goodlow was at 68 and no other defensive end was over 50. So you didn't see a lot. You saw a lot of uh, Deshaun Brown last game, not as many snaps this game, barely any for Jaleel Johnson. It was primarily Goodlow, Walter Scheid, and Latu with some Ross, Brown, and Johnson mixed in. Ross had seven, Brown had nine, and Johnson had six snaps. It's not very many. Now, there weren't a ton of plays run by KU, only right. 63, but I did think that was interesting. Kind of the, you know, you mentioned maybe them running more four down front. It was almost like they wanted to keep the more experienced defensive ends in. So kind of, kind of, plays into your take a little bit with them not really rotating to that pass rush set as much. Yeah. It was interesting too, as you rotate those guys in, in the end of the game, I thought Latou and Johnson popped more both live and on the rewatch as they are still fresh coming in late Oklahoma state. It feels like last year and this year they're they've got closers on the defensive line and the way they rotate them in I mean, the low snap count is one thing, but I felt like when they did come in late in the game, they they looked more prepared than Kansas did up front. So, Cade, my main kind of takeaways from the defensive ends. Against the run, I thought they were awesome. Good low, Walter Scheid, Latou. I thought they played great against the run. I actually thought this might have been one of their worst games in pass rush. So all of the sacks and almost all of the hurries came from the second level players. And, and Corey Black credited with one as well, I believe. Goodlow had three hurries. Walter Scheid had one. No other defensive end had a hurry. In wow. 34 pass attempts wow. from Jason Bean. Thought that was pretty interesting. I, I think one of the reasons... Bean was able to make some of those scramble throws downfield is because whoever the defensive end was that was in kind of one-on-one situation, whether that had been Latou, which saw multiple times with him, Johnson, Brown, Ross, when they're in the game, 
they weren't able to take advantage of a one-on-one situation with an offensive lineman. And again, I'll, on a lot of these, you're rushing three or bringing a green dogs delayed blitz with the linebacker. But still, I think you got to get a little bit more pressure because you can't have these four or five second scrambles that end up in touchdowns. Your defensive back's got to cover, but man, when you're asking your Trey Rucker type safety, your run fitting safeties like Kendall Daniels to cover a guy for five, six seconds downfield, especially a guy like Trevor Wilson, a punt return, kick return specialist with speed, that's going to be tough for anybody mm-hmm. to do, even a no Corey question. Black. No question. No question. I, I felt like, you know, Dustin, that defensively, <laughs> it was a little bit by design, right? Like you don't want Jason Bean, you know, uh, hitting the gap on you and, and going for 80. You feel like that could have been possible? Yeah, I, I definitely think there were some scheme reasons why. But I still thought just watching back through the game that that DNs were in one-on-one situations with a tackle and they won it not very often not rarely, in this game yeah, compared yeah. to what I'd seen. But again, this is the first kind of negative I think we've talked about the defensive line. Uh, I thought Walter Scheid was good against the run. Goodlow's motor, he made some tackles on the opposite end of where he lined up in the backfield. He's just big hustle. The first play, the first run play of the game was a big hustle play from him. Latu. He actually was like a step away from a hurry a couple of times and Bean just got the ball off. I thought he was pretty good though. He had a nice run play in the nice play in the run in the second quarter, but overall on his 19 pass rush snaps, I was a little bit disappointed, I think. And then really, I don't really have much on Brown and Johnson for Ross. It's the block kicks. He had yes. A, he basically had two. Looked like the, Vincent Taylor up there. Yeah. The penalty was on apps. Yeah. So it wasn't on him. He still blocked it. But as it evens have been, you know, not much from the seven, nine, and six snaps from Ross Brown and Johnson, respectively. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I I felt like they did what they were supposed to do, but you'd like to get more pressure on the quarterback, right? Yeah. The way that they defended the perimeter run was crazy. And Kate, but like, as so we good. The nose it was tackles, so good. <laughs> Kansas, they're, they're kind of just overall scheme confused me a little bit. So this is the first game all season in their game plan where they've thrown it more than they've passed it. And even the game where they lost 40 to 14 to Texas, they still ran the ball five more times than they passed it or four more, sorry. And they threw the ball 46% of the time on first and second down compared to 17% in the UCF game. The running backs ran for 4.3 yards per carry. It's right. not like like the, the 3.1 is because there were four sacks for minus 27 yards. If you just look at High Sean Neal, they had 90 yards on 21 carries. That's like 4.3 yards per carry. I know they got the big plays in the pass game early, but I was a little confused on the, in the second half why they weren't trying to run the ball more on early downs. Yeah, it didn't make a ton of sense. I, I felt like, so the fact that they had 4.3 yards is actually what your eyes would tell you. Like, it's not like, I didn't leave that feeling like Oklahoma State just stifled everything they tried to do on the ground. It felt like they had so much success through the air and chunk plays that they didn't run a ton of plays. But when they ran out of their set, they were okay. Like they they were, Oklahoma State controlled the game up, up front, but they were okay. So I would agree with you. I don't know why they did that. Yeah. All right. 
Sorry for that brief break. Kate had to step away for just a second, but I'll kind of keep going with what I was saying about KU going kind of going away from running the football. Another thing that I love from Oklahoma State, PFF has it at three missed tackles. I had it at five. That's actually the first time I've had more than PFF. I normally think they do a pretty good job here. I'm normally around the same, or we're both bad at it. But Gundy talked about, he said, we've worked really hard the last four weeks, five weeks, particularly four weeks on tackling. The first few games, I told the staff it was my fault because I didn't force them to tackle and be physical in practice as they needed to be. I leaned toward health and it didn't work. We weren't very good tacklers. We've seen that kind of turnaround and it's been awesome the past few weeks. I just thought in general, though, kind of back to the defensive line, nose tackles, Kirkland, he's still doing a great job of chewing up double teams. I think he's looking good against the run. He even gets penetration against the pass sometimes. He made a really good play in the first quarter on an interior run. Had a run later in the game where he almost was able to dive and make the tackle after pushing the center back. Colin Clay, still doing a really good job of eating up double teams, like I said, with Kirkland. He's been good against the run. He's firing off the ball with intensity the entire game. You see it a little bit more in the first half. He kind of wears down. But the way they're splitting the reps with these guys, kind of 50-50, and then doing some even front to give them a breather, and also just to kind of give the offense a different look, I think the nose tackles have been awesome. And again, another game where they don't put up a ton of stats, but you see linebackers like Nick Martin and Colin Oliver combined for 16 tackles, four tackles for loss, and three sacks. And you got to give the nose tackles some credit there. Moving to linebackers, Kansas entered Saturday allowing just one sack per game, good for 17th best in the NCAA. We talked about that last week. And third in the Big 12. However, the Cowboys were able to sack Jason Bean four times, and all those came from second and third level players. Nick Martin, just again, coming off a 17-tackle performance, he turned in another spectacular game for Oklahoma State. Nine tackles, a sack. 1.5 tackles for loss, a QB hurry, a forced fumble. Early in the game, I thought he was going to get a pick similar to the one he had last week against K-State. I thought he was awesome against the run. His his read and react ability, you know, we talk about sometimes with Benson that he's maybe reacting a little slow. We've talked about in the past, more last year with Kendall Daniels reacting a little slow against the run. Nick Martin makes his decision so quickly And more times than not, it's the right decision. And I just absolutely love what I saw from him here. He got washed a few times. He got held on a run on their second TD drive. That was just an egregious hold that would have probably, he would have tackled the guy for a two-yard gain. So didn't love that. Colin Oliver used him more as a pass rusher late. You know, something that Coach Gundy said that I didn't mention when Cade and I were kind of talking about activating Colin Oliver as a pass rusher. One thing that Gundy mentioned this week, Oklahoma State hasn't had a ton of practice reps with Oliver activated as a pass rusher out of the odd front, something that I mentioned. He likes Colin Oliver rushing the quarterback, but it's something they're just going to have to rep more to be able to kind of do it out of the odd front and be able to kind of get the rest of the defense used to that because it messes with the coverages It messes with different things, but 
I thought Oliver, I thought as a linebacker, I thought he was okay in this game. I thought as a pass rusher, he was awesome when he grabbed Bean by his leg and sacked him. That was just amazing. He said that he tells the rest of the team 2.5 seconds when he rushes the tackler. That's all they got to cover for. So whenever you got Colin Oliver rushing the passer, you won't have those big scramble plays, I don't think. Career high sacks, seven total tackles, 2.5 tackles for loss, a pair of pass breakups. He was good in coverage and a forced fumble. I think, you know, sometimes when teams are running some counter stuff into the boundary, he has a little bit of trouble figuring out how to attack those pullers and gets washed at times. We saw that in the Kansas State game on the big Will Howard run. But it's something, you know, he just needs more reps at that linebacker spot. He's going to keep improving. I like it. Xavier Benson. If teams are going to try to run to the perimeter, that's where Xavier Benson's awesome. This is a game where you saw his athleticism and his speed and his tackling ability in the open field that he's improved upon from last year just kind of show itself. He had the half sack, he had the half tackle for loss, six tackles total, total three solo tackles. I think, you know, sometimes on some of the RPO, some of the mesh stuff, he's still a little slow to react. But I think this might have been one of his best all-around games. His coverage on the two-point conversion was absolutely awesome. I loved it. I think, you know, without without Cade, I, I think that's kind of it that I had on the linebackers. I thought they were awesome again. But again, you got to give credit to the nose tackles and the defensive ends up front against the run. They were really, really good. Moving on to the defensive backfield, Cam Smith. I wanted to call him out first. I think this is the first game this season where I've seen him stand out negatively and the first game in a while. And this is a guy, you know, who got thrown into the mix last year due to injuries, but Lawrence Arnold beat him. He got physical with him on a first and 10 early in the second quarter. Then a couple of plays later, he's nowhere near the out route makes tackle a little bit late. I thought it was, a little tough for Cam Smith in this game. Just a couple of, and it wasn't like he got targeted a bunch, but I just didn't think it was great all around game from him. And really, I think it's one of the first times I've said anything negatively about one of the cornerbacks. So I think Cam is a good cornerback. I don't think it, I think it was a little out of character for him, for him in a couple of those spots. And Cade's back with us now. Cade, I, I wanted you back for this because I wanted to get your take because I might be being a little too nitpicky here, which another, I always get one phrase that I say 95 times per podcast. Cam Smith, I thought he stu- stood out a little negatively this game for the first time in a really long time. I, I don't remember saying a bad thing about Cam Smith since you know, he got thrown into the mix due to injury issues, man. Well, number one, Dustin, I just want to give you some props because it's not easy to, to do this thing by yourself. Uh, we've, we've got, uh, converging parent teacher conferences. My dad's here watching the kids. So just to thank you, uh, and, and thank you to our listeners, but I, I would agree with that. I would also say, because I haven't had a chance to speak on the secondary, I think this was one of the first games that I, very clearly noticed the youth in the secondary. And I went around and started counting and was like, man, there's just not very many snaps or starts out there. Cam Smith, I would agree with you. He was not great, but he's also, it's kind of the Ollie thing. It's like, yeah, at some point this is going to happen. Like you're going to have 
situations where I think your youth shows. And for Cam, that was the case. Uh, even Trey Rucker, who it's not youth, but it is lack of experience. They showed for him Cam Epps. They all kind of had their moments. Even Corey Black got got a couple of times, as Mike once. Gundy said. One. Okay, once. I'll say one. He got got once, which is one time more than he's gotten got all season, it feels like. True. So I'll just say this. In general, in the secondary, I thought the youth showed a little bit more in a game like this. Yeah, and I'm being overly critical on Cam because I think he's been good. And he's been a guy that's not, you know, he's not playing 100% of the snaps because he's been rotating. Can I can I say something on the on the Smiths? I I the fact that there's a Cam, a Kale, and a Dylan, and they're all similar in stature, they've all got dreadlocks. I can't do it. I I cannot keep them straight in the rewatch. Well, Cam and Dylan are brothers. I know, I know, but Kale, it's like I I I you, you if you didn't know the roster, you'd be like that's the same guy three times. If I we can move on to Dylan, I had him next in my notes anyway. If I was to tell you that the first true freshman defensive back or or even first kind of newcomer defensive back to get reps this year that hadn't been on that wasn't on the team last year would be Dylan Smith, what would you have said? Because we talked about guys like I would Kyle not Ray. have expected it. We talked about Lardarius Webb, Cam Franklin. I would and not have expected Dylan Smith. No, because it's it's a little bit why I was so confused. I thought it was Kale. For I thought he like played a corner hour. So yeah, but he's a cornerback. So <laughs> he comes out there at Cam Epps' field safety spot in the second half, and I, did you know what I forgot to check, Kate, on all of my rewatches? I don't know if Epps came back in the game. Yeah, I don't know, and I haven't heard anything about an injury. I don't think it was an injury, and. I'm going to need to go back and check that. And I apologize listeners for not having that information, but I think Cam Epps is okay. I think Dylan Smith's just kind of rotating in there since they're both young guys. I will say Dylan Smith all over special teams as well. He had to hold the kick for Logan Ward. I loved that. So he, he, he got beat a couple of times when he got in there, you know, not a ton of snaps from him. I love that he was out there. I love the interception. He's in the right place. He was in good coverage there. But, you know, if, if you have to put him out there in Cam's spot, it's you're going to see the same kind of learning curve, learning issues from a young guy no that you're going to see who's playing the field safety, the wide side of the field in this Nardo defense. Especially, you know, I don't think I don't think this safety's asked to do it as much to fit the run as much as the rover or the boundary safety where Rucker is. But Epps and Smith, they have to do a better job of not letting a wide receiver block them. I think, I think it's more of a problem with Epps. And it's even something I saw in the game where he had the two picks. You know, McKinney, Rucker, Black, Cam Smith, all these guys are tossing wide receivers off of them. McKinney sometimes, you know, has a little bit of trouble, but I think Epps, that's that's the one kind of knock on him I, I have right now. I know the cushion that he gives the wide receivers in the slot, but I think that's something he can continue to improve upon. He's I, I don't know how he can improve upon the other thing without either taking better better angles or getting stronger in the offseason. Yeah. 
I would agree with that. I felt like too, again, going a little bit more general on them, the secondary, it's not the offense that you want youth back there, but you're glad you got out of it with the win because like that scheme is difficult and there's guys moving around, there's motion in the backfield, there's tosses, there's all sorts of stuff going on in front of you that like you got out of it with the win. I think West Virginia is going to do some like things that don't blow your mind as much. You can stay in your gap a little bit more easily. I felt like hopefully the youth doesn't bite them, but that was a game where you would expect it to. Yeah. And I still think, you know, we talked about Corey black on that third and 13 where he got the 18 yard gain. Lawrence Arnold physical with him. I don't think black was expecting somebody to be physical like that. Then he makes two great plays in the run game later and has the sack on being in the scramble. He was the second highest graded cornerback on PFF in terms of run defense in the entire country Wow! wow. in this game. You know, he talked about it after the game. He just, he's a physical guy. And I, I love that from him, even though he got out physical by Arnold, they never even went at Corey black again after that. And I think, Bean felt like he might've got away with one there. McKinney, the scramble touchdown. He looked like he just kind of ran out of hustle there. Yeah. He thought maybe the quarterback was going to get sacked. I thought he played the run pretty well, but he had good coverage on the deep ball, but that scramble Bean had four seconds in the backfield. So, and then Rucker and Daniels, I think we can kind of talk about them together. They were awesome against the run. They had multiple mental lapses against the pass. Rucker even more so, I think, than Daniel Daniels because he honestly had somewhere he just got beat. The scramble one, that one's a little tough on Trevor Wilson to really ask Rucker to cover that guy for that long. They weren't put in the best situation with the man coverage, I don't think, against these this wide receiver core. But, you know, they're getting bashed on social media by people we talk to, but they were so good against the run. Yeah, it's it's like I hate to just completely smash them and say they're terrible and say Rucker needs to be replaced and Daniels has to really pick it up, not the player we thought he was, because they were so good against the run. And I know they got to do both; they're safeties. But I, I just think I think it's something that Daniels for sure can continue to improve upon, and maybe you just got to scheme things around Rucker and coverage. Because I don't think there's anybody on the bench that's going to fit the run better than him. No, it's that's that right there is the crux of the entire conversation with the secondary. I mean, it was a it was a pretty poor day from the safeties. I mean, you you can say that and you know still believe that the guys that are supposed to be out there are out there. There's the crux of the argument is there's nobody really else out there that you can just shove in there right now and feel comfortable with more comfortable than you do with Rucker and Epps and Daniels and and all those guys. So, yeah, I I don't know what you do other than improve upon what you've got. Yeah. And Cade, I know we got to get out of here. We're both kind of running up against the time thing. Real quick, special teams, and then we'll probably have to fly through West Virginia. Alex Hale, I know he had the miss, but he's the first kicker in program history to make nine field goals in a two-game stretch. That's crazy. With all the kickers that Oklahoma State has had. Gundy said he almost let him kick that 60-yarder before half. I would have loved that. I was surprised he didn't. I actually was. He He had a wind at his back. He said the wind was like swirling, I think. It was swirling, but it looked like it was at his back. Yeah, but he... 
Gundy brought it up, so I think he really truly was thinking about it, which would have been awesome if he would have drained that. Xavier Ross and Cam Franklin both recorded their first career block kicks. Like I said, Ross almost got two. Franklin tipped the punt. Ross had the PAT. The Cowboys have blocked two kicks in the game for the second time this season after doing so in the Central Arkansas opener. Oklahoma State has now blocked 34 kicks since 2013, tied for Temple, tied with Temple for most in the NCAA during that span. And it was the first time Kansas allowed a block kick this season. So I liked what Presley did awesome. on kick return. Josiah Johnson, no longer the end man. I noticed. Cassidy was on one side and Walter Scheid was on the other. Gundy said they made some changes. He didn't allude to what it was. That's, That's what, it, what was. it was. I'm sure there were some other technical things, but Walter Scheid was there. Ty Williams looked good on kickoff, made a pick or uh, made a tackle. Nixon got destroyed on the punt session had a good tackle on kick return. <laughs> and then, like I said, Cam Franklin on the punt on the punt block was awesome. Yeah. I mean, Dustin special teams continues to be a, a bright spot. I thought that they were, not as bright as they have been historically. I think the blocked kicks, uh, you know, elevate what the performance was on special teams. Uh, and additionally, Alex Hale's a beast. I did call the missed field goal, though. We were standing in the stadium and there was that long timeout right beforehand. It was kind of a underwhelming drive. And I I turned to my dad and was like, this this is not going in. And, and unfortunately, he blocked it out. Kind of like a driver on 18 for me. So uh, he's, he's great though. I think you put him out there every time and I don't blame Mike Gundy for not putting Hale out there for a 60 yarder, but I thought he was going to do it. And I, I would have liked to see it personally. Yeah. All right. Real quick on West Virginia. Do a quick speed run through their offense. 104th in passing offense, 34th in rushing offense, 117th in yards per play. 22nd in sacks allowed, 98th in points per drive, 77th in turnover margin. Neil Brown's calling the plays again. It's kind of that spread air raid style that we've seen from these Neil Brown offenses. Had Graham Harrell as the offensive coordinator previously. Air raid pass concepts. They mix in zone. More heavy zone, but they'll do GH counter, GT counter. OC's Chad Scott, but like I said, Neil Brown's calling the plays a lot of 11 personnel, Cole Taylor at tight end and Traylon Davis. They have one of those guys out there on pretty much every play. Offensive line, they're going to be getting their left tackle Wyatt Millam back from an eye injury. He should be playing this game, but they're losing left guard Tomas Remick. Jaquay Hubbard will be playing for him, who actually has quite a few snaps. Zach Frazier at center, he's probably my favorite. And they've got Brandon Yates and Doug Nestor, who've played a lot. Their receiving core, I think KU is a little bit better, but Hudson Clement and Devin Carter kind of went off against Houston. Clement had the late touchdown right before the Hail Mary. Devin Carter had a big game. Neil Brown said that's what he's kind of expected from him all season. Their running back, CJ Donaldson, he's big, tall like Ollie Gordon, but also thick. Neil Brown's been very critical of him this year in pressers. It's actually been really interesting to listen to. He thinks he's better than what he's shown. They'll also mix in Jalen Anderson, who ran all over OSU last year, and Jaheim White. Garrett Green, he's going to play. He's been banged up some this year. 53% completion percentage, not very good. He threw it all over Houston, but still only like 53% completion percentage. Hasn't thrown very many picks. His one pick in this game was actually because of Jalen Anderson, like, bobbled it. But 
Green can move with his feet. It's not like a Jason Bean, Jalen Daniels, but he's a good runner. It's more like almost like a faster Baker Mayfield style runner, kind of. He'll do some zone read stuff. I could see Oklahoma State, if, especially if it's rainy, like it might be attacking this similar to KU because I hate to say it, Cade, because our luck with quarterbacks hasn't been great this year, but I think Bean's a better passer. I think Howard's probably a better passer. And Garrett Green hasn't made the mistakes this year, but he's been so inaccurate. Yep. I I just don't know if... I mean, I could see them maybe dropping everybody back if it's not rainy and trying to stop Donaldson with a lighter box. But I think they're going to try to stop the run and see if Garrett Green can beat them. That's what I would do. When you look at this West Virginia team, it feels like they've got this Oklahoma State defense has an opportunity in front of them. It's probably the worst offense they've played up to this point in the Big 12. I would actually say statistically, that's absolutely a fact. But when you watch them, it's it's no secret either. I think Oklahoma State has the guys on the perimeter to be able to match up one-on-one. So I do. I love what you said. I think it is a little bit of like how they approached KU. If it's rainy, I would I would stack the box and make them throw it. But I may even do that anyway. And if it doesn't work and it bites you, okay, switch it and make him read eight and, and, you know, make him go through those progressions. He's not going to, I think he's a little bit of a immature quarterback. He's still pretty young. He hasn't played a bunch. So I, I think that Oklahoma state can force multiple turnovers in a game like this, whether, you know, notwithstanding, um, Dustin, I'll, I'll, I'll be bold. I think that this is their best conference defensive performance so far, maybe right up there better than K state. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Got to watch for me on their offense before we move to the defense. Cole Taylor, LSU transfer at tight end. Like I said, he's going to try to jump player. over people. He's hurdled. Did he visit like, Oklahoma State? He did. I think I, I think they were Oklahoma State was in the mix. Yeah, yeah. but he uh, has tried the hurdle unsuccessfully probably more times than <laughs> anyone I've ever seen. But I love that he keeps going to it. I I think he's kind of the X factor there, and then Hudson Clement. I know Devin Carter went off last week, but number 84, I think he's kind of their X factor guy. If, uh, if you forget about him, he can make you pay. And then I, I like this offensive line. So, yeah. uh, Kate, that was beautiful and very fast onto the defense 67th in passing defense, 35th in rushing defense, 23rd in defensive yards per play, 22nd in tackles for loss, 53rd in sacks, something to note. They're not, one of the first teams Oklahoma State's going up against in a while that's not a big sack coming after the quarterback team, even though they do blitz. 98th in defensive points per drive. Jordan Leslie's been their defensive coordinator. He's been with Neil Brown since Troy. Fifth year at West Virginia. He's been a former Broyles Award nominee. It's kind of a 3-4 hybrid defense with three linemen and then that bandit defensive end linebacker hybrid. Kind of think of it as like the Leo position and then they have a safety which they call spear which is kind of like oklahoma state's old star linebacker safety hybrid they'll move the bandit all over a lot of the times on the weak side the boundary side but they'll even show some three man they'll do some odd front they'll stack him inside like the rushing interior gaps that guy is jared bartlett so he's a guy to watch there they like to stunt they like to slant they like to do some of the creeper stuff the fake blitz a lot of zone. They don't play a ton of man. They they'll show it sometimes, but a lot of cover six, cover two, some cloud coverage. They want to take away the run and disrupt your offensive rhythm. 
the and then they do left cornerback or right cornerback. So you'll see those guys lined up on the same side. And then their other position that's an interesting name. Since that's something you and I like to hit on. They call their boundary safety. He's normally the boundary safety. Cat. Their cat safety. C A T. That's so. not what I I I had like all mountain, you know, uh paraphernalia going through my head. Like raccoon okay. skin cap. They the one thing before I throw it back to you. This defense has had so many injuries this year. They have guys who were supposed to start coming in the season who haven't even really played, yep. like Tariq Austin Cave at middle linebacker. Trey Lanthan had to be, I think, uh, ambulanced off the field at TCU. He's out for the season. Aubrey Burks had a concussion in the TCU game. Neil Brown said it's his first time competing at practice since he was hospitalized during that game. He's going to be available, making me think he's probably going to play. He's really good at their free safety spot, but maybe he doesn't. You know, they've got Lee Koba has played like all their snaps at middle linebacker. He's pretty much the only guy who hasn't been injured, but their weak side linebacker, Ben Cutter, he wasn't the starter at the beginning of the season. They're playing multiple guys in the secondary who have either been banged up or who weren't starters at the beginning of the season. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Oklahoma State attacks this defense. I just, I it's going to be interesting to see how. I don't see a way that they don't try to hammer West Virginia on the ground and establish the game plan that way, knowing that they've now had success two straight weeks against better, I think, defensive fronts in Kansas State and Kansas. I, I feel like they're going to try to hammer West Virginia with the run and and maybe open up some play action stuff we haven't seen, but I feel like that sets this up for a, a bit of a lower scoring affair. If it's not rainy in West Virginia adds to the box. I think if they've got their timing down, which they should at this point, I think this is a game where we could see Bowman hit on some deep balls. Now if it's rainy, probably not, but I like Beanie Bishop, but I've seen Hershey McLaren, McLaurin get beat. I've seen Malachi Ruffin get beat. If Aubrey Burks isn't playing, Marcus Floyd, Marcus Floyd's probably going to be in there. I've seen him get beat. I've seen their cat safety Anthony Wilson get beat. It's they're not bad in coverage, but Houston kind of exposed them last week. And I don't think Houston's offense isn't great. I mean, they threw for three or for 253 yards. Donovan Smith, who Oklahoma State absolutely destroyed in the past, threw for 253 yards and four touchdowns with no picks, and they ran for five-point yards per carry on these guys. And that's – I didn't even take out the sacks in that, so it's probably closer to six. Yeah. I, to me, Jaden Bray game, coming out party finally. I could see that. If, if West Virginia plays how they normally do – I could see a lot of those hitches yeah. to Bray and Owens, some zone beaters to Presley using the tight end. And then if they try to take away those slots, go back to my guy, Ollie on the check down. I love it. Got to protect the quarterback, especially on the road. I, I think they'll do a good job. It's good to get two home games under your belt before you go to Morgantown. And I just, I know West Virginia's had a nice start to the season, but I, I feel like a little bit of that, Seems to be fool's gold. Oklahoma State's going up. West Virginia's coming off a big loss against Houston in that Hail Mary. 
I, I feel like Oklahoma State additionally matches up well in a game like this, just X's and O's wise. Yeah, and and I know I was just a little negative on their secondary. Lee Koba is awesome at middle linebacker. He reminds me of Nick Martin. And then Edward Vesterinen, Mike Lockhart, Sean Martin. I like all those guys. They don't really rotate their D linemen a lot. A lot. And their bandit, Jarrett Bartlett, I like him. Aside from DeRogier and Bradley in their backups, nobody else has more than like 60 snaps this year. So those are kind of the only – it's not like a big rotation like right. Oklahoma State. We'll see how Joe Mahalski handles Mike Lockhart at the nose. That could be an interesting matchup. We'll see, you know, Lee Koba's not an easy guy to make miss in space. So if it's him and Ollie one-on-one, that'll be fun to watch if if those guys are lined up one-on-one in space. And I do like what I've seen from Ben Cutter, so I don't want to be too negative about this defense because they have played good. They just looked really bad in this Houston game. Houston scored on special teams some too, so not all those points are from that. But, Kate, I'm ready to pick it if you are. I am. And I said lower scoring. I'm not going to lie. Because there's a chance of rain, I'm going to pick it like that. But if this game was at OSU in, the, in normal weather, I just think the, some of the ways West Virginia has won have been so gross. Mm-hmm. And with the way that Oklahoma State's offense has been clicking, I, I think if this was at home or even on a neutral field in normal weather, Oklahoma State could beat them by 10-plus. Yeah. But I'm going to pick it much tighter at West Virginia. First time we've been on the road in a couple weeks and it possibly being rainy. So I have the over-under at 50.5 and the spread is West Virginia minus 3.5. I'm going to take OSU at their favorite number, 27, West Virginia 24. I'm actually going lower scoring than that. I was going to go 24-21 Oklahoma State. I mean, they are... Uh, I I could see Oklahoma State kind of pulling away with this one. I don't see West Virginia being able to do that to Oklahoma State. So if it's a close game, I feel like it's going to swing towards Oklahoma State. If it's a blowout, I think it swings towards Oklahoma State. But I, I think that West Virginia at home is able to make enough plays to to make this a, a game all the way through. But give me the, the team with the better kicker on the road And I think that's Oklahoma State. And additionally, I think you've got enough in the run game to be able to lean on that. If they can't run the ball, then this is going to be a really interesting game. But if they can, and I think they will, I think that Oklahoma State loves playing on the road. Mike Gundy loves playing on the road. And I I actually, I know if this game was at home, you know, you said 10 plus point win. I think Oklahoma State likes playing in Morgantown. I know it's different part of the world as Mike Gundy called it, but he's the last time he lost there was 2013. I, I think that, call. I think he brings the better team in again, and I think that they're learning how to win. I think they're really confident, run behind the offensive line, and lean on the offense and win this game. I basically just took West Virginia's score last year and then gave us more points for my prediction. I mean, if it's not 24-21, no it's, I think it's like 34-21, Oklahoma State. Yeah. So. All right, Cade, we'll wrap it up with a ad read from one of our sponsors. As you guys know, Wild Oak Lighting is a sponsor of the Feels Like 45 podcast. Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish lighting dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your house. With 16 million different colors and patterns, 
Jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website, wildoak-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook or on Instagram at wildoak underscore lighting. You guys know I have these lights. If you've been listening to the podcast, the wild oak lighting guys are awesome to work with. Installation is super fast. You should check out their social media, their page. They're always posting stuff, always showing examples, always posting customer testimonials on there. And as we get into this holiday season, you know, you don't want to have to deal with putting your own lights up, worrying about somebody coming out, putting them up, storing them, stealing them. Who knows? So use jellyfish lighting with wild oak lighting, and it'll be such a breeze this year and moving forward. And when you hit them up, tell them that the Feels Like 40, 45 podcast sent you. Yes. Get a quote. I, I think a quote is free. At least mine was. So, uh, Dustin, I know it yours is. was as well. And I know we've had several listeners reach out. The social media game is on point. They don't even need a social media manager. Whoever's doing it is on point with it. So doing a great <laughs> job. So absolutely follow them and give them a shout. And then, of course, tell them that you found them from the Feels Like 45 podcast. A big thank you to Dustin for holding the fort down as uh, my schedule is a little bit chaotic this week. And uh, get back to normal programming next week and throughout the football season. So a big thank you to you, Dustin. And a thank you to our listeners as well. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at FeelsLike45Pod. And don't just take – I'm not letting you take the blame. I have to fly out on a trip for work tomorrow, a work trip. So don't take all the blame, kid. This is also my fault. And <laughs> apologies that we had to rush at the end with me traveling and with what Kate had going on tonight. There, there was no, we'd have to record on Thursday if we didn't. So sorry, guys. I got mouths to feed. Dustin's got mouths to feed. So I'm sorry. It, it is what it is. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads. That feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustin and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Enjoy your weekend. Go Pokes.